And so now it's my distinct pleasure to introduce our speaker for today. Someone who, to be honest, I hadn't heard until the first service, so I'm lucky because I've got a twofer. In quite Canadian tradition, I had a twofer today. I've already gotten to see Dr. Reverend Sue Rubin once, but I've got to tell you that her message, well, she's a messenger from God. There's no doubt about it in my mind. And I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward for you, toward you experiencing this for yourself, because here's someone who's walked a path clearly in truth. And as someone, as a new licensed practitioner myself, getting ready to go into ministry. I look at someone like this, and I can feel the fire. And so, welcome, welcome, Reverend Dr. Sue Rubin. Repeat after me, God is a minister right here, right now, and always. That's it. Good morning, everyone. What have you learned since last we met? Ralph Waldo Emerson used to say that after he would take a, a little respite from teaching and being with the people that he was sharing ideas with, and he would always show up, and that would be a burning question. What have we learned since last we met? Since last we met ourselves turning the corner that brought us right here where we are. What have we learned since we awakened this morning to the possibilities of a new day? What have we learned as we walked across the threshold right here? What have we discovered about ourselves that has up until now been an untapped divine potential and now it's time to access it and avail ourselves of it and to be that sacred space that reveals all of the wonder of itself. When Belle was singing her song, Stones in My Shoe, I love associating because in the world that we inhabit, there is such a call for realizing what happens in the inner world that shows up invariably in our outer world. And sometimes it doesn't always seem to depict a clear representation from inside to outside, but it's always there. And have any of you done any exploration with metaphysical interpretation of the Bible? I'm very much partial to probing around and seeing what were all those high-fangled ideas about and all of the metaphor and, and allegory and fable. And whenever you mention stone in the Bible, it traces back, first of all, to David and Goliath, when here this small, young man, seemingly ill-equipped, to take on Goliath, who in all of his physicality was girded with all of the iron and protective gear. And here David simply showed up with his little loincloth, perhaps. <laughs> Lots of muscles, maybe. But wait, I digress. Okay. Um, let's stay focused. <laughs> Gotta watch me. And so he showed up, and he took one single stone... And his line of vision from the inside to the out was so crystal clear, so unwavering that that one stone just hit its mark. And so stone is very much symbolic of truth. In the Old Testament, it describes how one of the characters placed a stone under his head upon going to sleep at night. Because again, that stone represented sleeping in and of 
and us the truth, the very truth that exists within us. So imagine talking about prayer and demonstration and action. We're talking about anything. You know, I was told long ago, never let a title interfere with what you want to say. So I take perfect liberty and license to do whatever it is that God moving through me and extending itself, receiving that which God has to reveal in terms of your own understanding. That's what comes forth. And so the stone is the truth of our being. And the holiness, the wholeness with which we embrace life through our way of consciously contacting the divine within becomes the demonstration. I don't know if you have a song that is quite popular in the States that is our, what is used as music for Centers for Spiritual Living, and it's called Our Thoughts Are Prayers. And that is the simple truth that whether we are doing a conscious and deliberate what we call in science of mind spiritual mind treatment or affirmative prayer or simply consciously maintaining our contact with the divine we're doing that all the time it's not just in those moments where we deliberately say God is I am and all is well would you say that with me God is I am and all is well but it's the conversations that we engage in outside of the seeming lofty divine parameters of spiritual mind treatment. It's how we communicate with every person in our world. To what degree does the word that we speak reflect the beauty, the truth, the joy, that possibility to really see within any given situation something that exceeds the boundaries of the here and now present condition and opens itself to the greater possibility. There was recently, in fact, on YouTube, a little selection, and it showed a blind man sitting with a tin cup beside him, and he just had a cardboard sign, and the sign said, I'm blind, I can't see. Help me. And people pass by and you would occasionally hear a little tinkle, if you'll pardon the expression, a little tinkle here and there, nothing of any real large proportion. And suddenly a woman walked by. Now it could easily have been a man, but in this case it was a woman. And you could see she was deep in higher thinking. It could have been a man engaged in higher thinking as well. And she walked by and she looked at the sign and there was a crayon or a mark nearby. She turned the sign over, wrote something else, and went her way. And before you know it, that cup was like clinking away and then you could hear paper bills were being stuffed in there. And by the end of the day, the man was just in a state of complete unbridled joy. And he asked someone, he said, someone came by and I think they changed this sign. Could you please tell me what does the sign say right now? And the sign had been changed by a woman, could easily have been a man. And it said, it's a beautiful day, however I cannot see it. So take the power of the word, the word we speak through the prayers we do that we're always praying Every thought that we issue forth represents an idea, a belief system that we hold to be true. 
And if we hold it to be true and are convinced about it, then that becomes received right into the creative law and becomes the experience that we have in the form of the people, the places, the things that show up. So the power of the word to heal. In scripture, there's a statement that says, by my words, I am either justified or condemned. And it's not that that is of a punishment and reward duality, but rather it's the power of the word is such that whatever the word is, be it beautiful and true and infinitely possible to bring forth great good, whatever it is, or if it's negativity and anger and fear and violence such as we see in the world today, whatever it may be, the law is impersonal. What we know is the law of cause and effect the law of creative mind, the law of mind action. It receives impartially and responds automatically to what it is we're knowing about ourselves. And so what do you know about yourself? How is it that when you're doing your time of conscious connection with spirit, that you are giving a clear, unmistakable message that I treat myself from the total self that God is, I am. When I first arrived in Edmonton to do my very first ministry in 1985, someone at the first service commented that I was apparently very confident. You'd think I had been doing this for years. Not. I was like, let me stay just one step ahead. Let me just maintain. We met for the first time, teaching science of mind classes the end of 1985 in the fall. And at that time, the president of our board and our music director was Heather Clark. Anybody remember the days of Heather Clark, who to this day is now Dr. Heather Clark, and she is the spiritual leader in San Juan Capistrano, Southern California. In any case, she was teaching high school. She was teaching over at Grandview High at the time, and that's where we held our very first Science of Mind class. And it didn't cost us anything. They allowed us to have it gratis. And when I would carry the big book, the Science of Mind textbook, I'm going to be quite honestly, you can, you can tell me. I'm going to leave here Tuesday. I won't tell anybody. How many of you have read the Science of Mind textbook cover to cover? I know. You, you didn't see my hand go up, did you? Because there is so much, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, here's the way that it has always worked for me. The very first 53 pages or whatever that is, the thing itself, what it does, how to use it, etc., and the glossary. Those are the really rich items. They truly are. So that if you want to know, for example, you want me to quote the glossary? Absolute. That one I know because it's the very first word. Absolute. The unconditioned. Synonym for God. Truth. Reality. Wholeness. Completeness. Perfection. That which is. Now the last one, I don't know, I'll make it up. Zeal. The, the energy with which we reveal the nature of God. We can add to our own glossary. So in the process of growing and developing and evolving, that is our purpose. 
in 1985, just staying ahead of the game and garnering all of the inspired knowingness that came from within myself. It was mandatory to do meditation, to do spiritual mind treatment, to set intentions for the day, to constantly and consciously draw upon that infinite intelligence for everything I need to know as I need to know it. Infinite intelligence always reveals all I need to know as I need to know it. Let's say that together. Infinite intelligence always reveals all I need to know as I need to know it. I could make my statements of repetitive affirmation a little bit shorter, probably. <laughs> so I've got one for you. This is my new mark, my slant on the whole thing. I shared it at the first service, and it emerged at Saskatoon. And in the Hindu tradition, there is a Sanskrit mantra that is one of many that is used, and it simply says, Tat Twam Asi. T-A-T-T-V-A-M-A-S-I. Tat Twam Asi. And what it means is, thou, you, are that. That personification of I am that I am, God, spirit, truth, reality. And so I've embellished upon that a little bit and done it in English. And here's the way it goes. And I share it with you and it can be that which you utilize to draw your attention to the conscious understanding of who and what you are. I am that. You are that. All this is that. And that's that. <laughs> so, this, by the way, is, as I understand it, the sign for God. So if you see anyone doing this in signing, that is God. This I picked up from casinos. It's, <laughs> it's all God in action. I mean, come on, I am that, you are that, all this is that, and that's that. Because if you're playing blackjack and the dealers shift their, their shifts, it's their turn to leave, you'll see they'll put the whole deck, they'll fan it out on the table, and I'm adding this, but they'll go like that. It's like it's a done deal as far as I'm concerned. So why can't it be a done deal as far as you and I are concerned to know I am that which is. All that God is, I am. And if I claim that as my true identity, then mandatorily, according to cooperation with the divine law of life, I must see you as the same thing, because you are that which I am, at essence, at core, at the very roots of our being. And then if you are that which I am, then everything I look at in the forms that I see around me had to have originated with a creative idea that said God is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and it still is. And what is the Word? I am that, together, I am that, you are that, all this is that, and that's that. Okay, so we're on a new shift. And the shift was very clearly identified in 1959. And I would venture to say you are familiar with this. This is called Sermon by the Sea by Dr. Ernest Holmes. And have you explored this at all? 
And it was Dr. Holmes' very last time at Asilomar, which is the annual conference of all who practice religious science or the science of mind. And in fact, it's coming up the first two weeks in August. And I would probably hazard a guess, a knowingness, that some of you are going. Anybody going to Asilomar? Try my other hand. Anybody going to Asilomar? <laughs> Well, I know that this is in your intention, and although perhaps it hasn't been fleshed out to the degree where you consciously know it, there is that deeper inner knowing which knows it. So I look forward to seeing you all there. I'll be there the first week. Anyway, in 1959, Holmes delivered what is now known as the Sermon by the Sea to the group at Asilomar, and essentially what he was pointing out was He was not religious science, you know, to all indicators. He was not interested in a formal organized religion. He was more interested in teaching the truth and offering the principles and in offering places and people who were effectively trained that could then propagate the principle and take it out into wider circles and into broader visibility. And so he was saying, I'm not religious science. You are. It's what you do with it, this teaching, this awareness of the truth of who you are and who everyone is. It's what you do with it wherever you go. So he decides to identify it by saying, find me 1,000 people. And the bulk of this is just utilizing that as his lead-in phrase, find me 1,000 people. And for example, it starts with one person. We know that it can only begin with myself. There's no such thing as corporations or organizations or cities or provinces creating a plan. It always begins with one person. So for example, he will say, find me one person who can get his own littleness out of the way and he shall reveal to me the immeasurable magnitude of the universe in which I live. So imagine if I used spiritual mind treatment, if I used my time of stilling my thoughts and then allowing that to be the fertile planting ground in which I affirm that I am one with the universal presence, would that not automatically dissolve the littleness, my little fears, my little grievances, my little urgency for self-preservation? Making it all about me is no longer enough in what all of us have come to understand as the imperative of the spiritual path now requires that I be equally involved in bringing healing to every person in my midst so that that ripple effect, that one person knowing the truth of being, declaring who they are, is now called forth to bring that out into their own arena and to bring that sense of oneness and infinite possibility so that the universe, indeed, in finding ourselves willing to be the sacred space through which magnificence occurs, become the catalyst for that rippling out all over. Um, One of my very first evenings here after returning from the Saskatoon Oneness Gathering last weekend 
was I was invited to go see Wynton Marsalis at the International Jazz Festival. Anybody been taking in the Jazz Festival? Well, the anybody know Wynton Marsalis? <laughs> okay, good. Well, the interesting thing, because I've never seen him before, I didn't realize it. He is not the quote-unquote music director of this 14-piece New York Lincoln Center jazz group. He sits in the background playing his trumpet, and what you sense and feel and experience through the music is clean and pure oneness. Apparently, this group has been together for a very long time, and therefore, the familiarity which, with, with which they sense each other, they read each other, they intuit each other. One cannot play a note without it already being accompanied by the next note on the next instrument. There's such a harmony. There's such a unity of purpose. And I really want to know and want you to know that that's what happens in spiritual communities like this, which are gathering throughout the United States and Canada and in many other places throughout the world. There's a wonderful ministry in Jamaica. Anybody been to Jamaica? I haven't. But there's, oh, Reverend John is just spectacular leading that. And so in that oneness there is that which calls all of us to see beyond that self-serving littleness and to start using the spiritual mind treatment and our affirmative prayer work to know that that which unites me to the source unites me to all of life. Therefore, I am here to serve that life and to give my full measure of my unique gifts and talents and creative joy in 1985, science of mind was not exactly a household word in this part of the world. And so for that reason, those of you who know me know I have quite a saga to tell as to why they didn't want me to enter the country. Immigration was not in an orderly fashion, something that I had prepared for. So I just took this great leap of faith and I said, when I get there, we'll figure out. Because technically, when I arrived here, I was not a minister and there was no formal church. That was yet to be revealed. So therefore, in Yiddish, there's a word called chutzpah. And so I just had chutzpah. I said, I'm sure, knowing the truth of who I am, that as I enter the border, they welcome me with open arms. They say, come, teach religious science, whatever the heck that is, feel free. Not the case. And to this day, when I crossed the border, in this case, I came through Calgary to gain access to Saskatoon, my heart goes boom, 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 immigration, customs. I am clear, I am not held to yesterday's beliefs, I am free in the spirit now, and now is what welcomes me to my expression of God. So I present my credentials and all my information, and the gentleman looks at me, because I'm convinced the minute they plug my information, and he goes, uh-uh, watch her, this is a hot one, we got to get her. And so he said to me, why are you spending 
two weeks in Canada when you're from the States. At which point, I honestly said, because I used to live here and work here, oh, really? Tell me about that. Next thing I knew was, could you please go into the customs office? It's like, darn, talk about being held captive by a limiting belief that so sets up its own vibratory system that the minute anything suggestive of serving as a catalyst for that fear, that anticipatory negativity pops right in, and mind, you know, mind creates. It doesn't care whether it's from yesterday or from the here and now or a greater possibility for what can be. It says, this is what you gave me, this is what I got, now I'm going to give it back to you, and that's what you're going to get. And so they brought me in, and they went through the little trigger of the conversation. They had nothing on me. I was clean. <laughs> that's it. Well, in the process, the story continued, as I shared in Saskatoon, because by now my connecting time between Calgary and Saskatoon flight was shrinking. And so, if you had caught me out, was not standing as calm and clear as I may look right now, took off my tennis shoes, ran down to my gate, panting and huffing and puffing, with about three minutes to spare, only, oh me, of little faith. The flight was a little bit delayed, of course. Everybody else is sitting, reading their books, sipping their coffee, and wondering who the mad woman of Westlake Village is. So the point of that is, I don't know, I just wanted to tell it. Does it have to have a point? Sigmund Freud said that. He actually said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> so, what I know right here and right now is that spiritual mind treatment is the activity that we engage in within our own consciousness. And if we're doing it at what can be described as a higher vibration, the total self, God is, I am, then everything that is attracted to that particular frequency is what mind picks up and creates as great a health, as great a clarity, as great a faith, as that which knows that there's no rush or pushing spirit. Spirit always is unfolding in an orderly, harmonious pattern. And if I am caught up on that lower frequency and lesser vibration, then I'm subject to the experience of what that energy produces. And I'm harried, and I'm hassled, and I'm rushed, and I'm pushing, because I have temporarily lost inner sight of the realization that right where I am, God is. Would you say that with me? Right where I am, God is. And all that God is, I am, together. And all that God is, I am. So whether the year was 1985 and a newbie, however, she wasn't 20, she wasn't 30, she wasn't 40, she was well into her late 50s when she arrived to do ministry for the first time. So don't anybody give me any of your stories about, well, it's so late in the game for me. No, sir. No way. 
mind is not bound by quantity, only by the quality of consciousness that we are offering up as our contribution to the greater healing, transformative opportunities that exist in mind this day and every day, and it all begins with you. So I have found one person amidst a group who are willing to set aside their littleness, the pettiness, the smallness, the trivia, the inconveniences in order to stand tall and strong in the spirit of who we all essentially are, changeless, immortal, infinite, everlasting, living within a universal theme of life that is particularized according to what we do. And here we are, and it's the year 2011. And yet time condenses in order to say, whatever you knew then, this sequential divine unfolding pattern is still at work in you, and yet it's no longer limited by what you did yesterday, but rather it carries its continuity of existence into what you've already built and developed, all of us. If we piled all the books we've read and the CDs we've listened to and the DVDs we've watched and the lectures we've attended, and you'll be here this afternoon, 2 o'clock, and the journey goes on, take that cumulative message of truth, and what are we doing with it? So the question always is, what you're doing with what you got? You've got God in action as you, and so do I. And so I extend the opportunity in this year and every year in this moment, which is the only moment there is, and in life, in all of its oneness, I challenge you to go forth with the gifts that you have and continue to be a messenger of light, life, love, and truth. That's my intention, always has been is now and shall forevermore be because I know and I know that you know that I know that this is the truth for all everywhere I am that you are that all this is that and that's that